darkness has surrounded the small stone two-bedroom house, and both of themselves find themselves at a cleared table, the same question hangs in the night air that they've had the last four nights, but there's no words to add to the conversation. She looks at her husband, longing for him to bring direction, answers, and he has none. And nothing shoots more at the heart of masculinity than not being able to have answers for your wife. And so he stares at the empty coffee cup as he rolls it around on the clay saucer. There's a whimper from the corner. It gives her the excuse she needs. She'll quickly slide her chair back on the dirt floor. She'll go on the mat where the three little ones share and lie. The littlest one has rolled over on his big sister. She's woke up with a sigh more than anything. And mom will pick him up and shift him back in his place. She'll run her fingers through the dark locks of her daughter's hair. Those big brown eyes will open up and flutter and soon back to sleep before the first three words of a Jewish lullaby fills the night air. Mom will turn the sentence into a slow hum. The deep breathing lets her know she's joined little brother and sister. She'll quietly pick herself up, leave her knees, and back to the table. As a couple, they've never been more committed to anything before like this. But they don't know where to go from here. He feels at a loss. He knows what he knows. He knows what he believes. And he doesn't know what to do next. And they don't know where to turn. Because everything outside their little house is going to tell them differently. Everything in the community is going to tell them what you're doing is laughable. It's a mockery. It's ludicrous. They feel like all that they have is inside this little home. And the same question hangs in the night air that's hung the last four nights. Now that we call ourselves Christians, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) They can't walk the streets of Ephesus and share. The townspeople are already furiated about the small church. The townspeople already realize this Christianity has made a dent into their idol worshiper. See, the townspeople follow their own truth, their own belief. And what the world hates is anyone standing for something, well, something else, something apart. And little does this couple know that it's home after home after home all across Ephesus. There are young couples and families struggling with the exact same question. So we call ourselves a Christian. Now what? And little do they know And the next Thursday evening, when they join together with that group of believers, there will be a letter read that for the first time gives them some steps to start following. We call that letter part of the New Testament today. We call the book Ephesians because it was written to those in Ephesus. And Paul, who started the lecture hall, two years of putting together the pieces of who this Jesus was, about this miracle worker, about this teacher, two years of letting them see this was no man, this was no teacher, this wasn't a great guy, this was God. Two years of putting together all the rumors they heard from across the Mediterranean, now writes a book saying, now that you know this was the Christ, the Messiah, here's what to do with it. And tonight, we get to look over their shoulders. Tonight, we get to read along with them. So you call yourself a Christian. What's it mean for your family? 
What's it mean for you? What's it mean for marriage? What's it mean for the workplace? So if you got a Bible, I want you to turn to it to the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the book rack ahead of you. I believe we're on page 1821. Ephesians chapter 4, page 1821 in the Bible in the book rack ahead of you. I'm amazed at the early church. They didn't have the New Testament like we have. We have it printed out. We have it where we can read it. We have it where it's been studied for 2,000 years. We have it where it can be taught. We have an internet that you can click on and watch some of the best teachers in the world today. There's a radio you can tune into and listen to. Have you ever thought about that young married couple, the three kids sleeping on a mat in the corner, sitting in Ephesus, hearing their world explode? There's no more Greek and Roman god or goddesses. Some, Some imaginary figures out there that trifle with humanity but there is one God a creator God he sent his son for you and this has finally clicked it's dawned on them and they wonder where where do we go next oh church let me ask you what have you done with that guy we've got 2,000 years of history to back up his teaching have you thought about that Glenn just mentioned 14 days Easter have you just stopped and thought about Who pulls that off? Not Easter at the Fairplex. (laughs) Who lives the type of life that for three years, three years publicly, 2,000 years later, there's a civilization on a different continent on the other side of the world that's still going to celebrate. Has it ever dawned on you what this man did in history? Is that bewildering? Isn't that mind-boggling? You may hide the eggs, you may eat the chocolate ears off of the bunny first, all that's cool. But we cannot get off our calendar that 2,000 years ago, there was a man that said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I will hand myself over to the religious leaders. They will flog me, beat me, spit on me, mock me. They will kill me. And in three days, I'm going to pull off Easter. 2,000 years later, we will stop in two weeks and celebrate it. Who does that? Oh, we may get into next year. We may get into the end of this year. And you can celebrate it by putting up a tree and lights on it and tinsel and ornaments. We could put packages under it. You can believe in Santa or not. I'm fine with all of it. But we cannot take off our calendar that there was two couples, in ab- two people, a couple, in absolute poverty, had a child in a stable. And 2,000 years later, my kids still have their public school closed down. Because of his birthday. Has that ever dawned on you? Has it ever dawned on you that every time you turn on your iPhone, click on your iPad, every electronic device, laptop, desktop you have, the moment you turn it on, your home screen pops up. It screams Jesus. Is that amazing? It always gives me the date. 2015. 2015 to what? 2015 to one man Three years of teaching, split time. Everything recorded before him is B.C., before Christ. Everything after him in A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Who can do that? I know we're trying to change the dating system. I'm not letting them. (laughs) Have you ever noticed? Have you ever gone through the dark at night and stubbed your toe? What do you say? He's not a great teacher. 
He's not a great philosopher. I've never heard someone stub their toe and just go, oh, Benjamin Franklin. Never. I've never been playing basketball where someone gets an elbow to the jaw and they're a Confucius. How amazing do you have to be to become a swear word 2,000 years later? Are you kidding me? And the young couple in Ephesus has been rocked by the truth. They're part of the great Roman Empire. And the greatest empire the world has ever seen at that point killed him for three days. And the Roman Empire is rocked. And Paul will write a letter. Ephesians chapter 4. And he'll tell them. Here's what you do with that name. And I know some of you are thinking, is that the intro? I thought you were going to close in prayer. We're just getting going. (laughs) How many of you were at uh, Pomona and heard the service this morning? Okay, so I don't have to recap a lot of that. Those of you that weren't, didn't miss a thing. Here we go. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, starts like this. I feel so far away. Can I do this? Can you in the back still see if I come down here? I'm going to do it. ADD boy can't stay in the box. Ephesians 4, 17. So I tell you, well, you can't start there, can you? You can't start with so. <laughs> so means because of what I've told you. You, can't, you can start with a lot of things, can't you? You can start with once upon a time, in the beginning. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> Just sit right back and you hear a tale, a tale of a faithful trip. You can start with a lot of things. You can't start with So. What is so? So, he says, because of what I've written already in four chapters. He goes, because of what I told you in chapter one, there is a God. There is one God. He is your God. Because of what I told you in chapter two, this God had to buy you, redeem you. The necessity of the cross is because you and I have blown it. We lived our own life apart from God. God has something against us. We have a debt we owe to God. And he goes, I wrote you in chapter two, this God has bought you back, redeemed you. The cross is necessary for any relationship. He says, so because of what I told you in chapter three, in the beginning of chapter four, God doesn't call you slaves. God doesn't call you pawns. He calls you son or daughter. He invites you to be part of the family of God. He invites you into relationship. So, because of what I told you in the first 17 verses of chapter 4, he's given every one of us gifts a role to play. You have a purpose in this life, and it's much more significant than just this life. So, first chapters, because I've written to you all that, you're asking the question, then why don't I feel like my Christian life's working? He goes, I'm glad you asked. So now I'm going to tell you this. No, no, I'm going to insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do, those who don't know God, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to their own sensuality to indulge in every kind of impurity, with a continual lust for more. Or some of your Bibles may say continual full of greed for more. He goes, so church, now that you're a Christian, let me tell you this. No, 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 no. Let me insist on it. 
You can't go back and keep living your old life. You can't live like those who don't know this Jesus. You can't know the truth of Christ and go back and live life your way. He goes, don't go back and live like those that were ignorant. Now listen, that, that, that word in no way means stupid or unintelligent. He goes, you, they just don't know the truth yet. They've hardened their hearts to the things of God. They're not sensitive to the spirit of God. They just don't know the truth. He goes, do you remember what that life was like? Do you remember when you gave yourself over for your own desires, your sensuality, with a continual lust or greed for more? Do you remember what life was like when you weren't walking with God? Do you remember that no matter what you grabbed, it wasn't enough? No matter how much the pay, how much the title, how much the position, no matter how much the savings, how much the retirements, it didn't satisfy. He goes, remember the relationships after relationships after relationships that left you always wanting more, never having enough. Remember the law of diminishing returns that no matter what it takes to find some sort of contentment, the next time it took twice as much. He said, do you remember lying in your bed late at night by yourself and you didn't like who you were with? And no matter how far you tried to outrun yourself, wherever you ended up, you were there. (laughs) He goes, remember that life? He goes, this Jesus doesn't want to be part of your old life. He died to get rid of that life. So here I'm going to tell you, no, no, I'm going to insist on it. He says, don't pick up that self that was the old you. He goes, you, however, circle, highlight, underline. Man, if it's your Bible, I challenge you to use it as a text. If it's this church's Bible, well, still circle it. Someone needs to read that later. You, however, (laughs) it's good to be a visiting pastor. I don't care what you do. Take it home. It's yours. We're going to charge it to the junior high account. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. I know surely you've heard of him. You were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. To put on the new, to make new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's all we're reading tonight. He says, you've come to know Christ. Let me tell you how to start living this thing out. Let me tell you, Jesus doesn't want to be part of your old life. He died to get rid of your old life. Let me tell you how to start living this new life. Whether you've been a Christian the first week of your life or you've been a Christian for the last 30 years and you've missed it, this book's come in the nick of time. He goes, welcome to Ephesus. You found the truth. You changed your thinking. Now let's start changing your life. In fact, I insist on it. Change your life. (laughs) And really what he goes after are the four lies about spiritual growth. It's there if you got one of the note sheets when you came in. I just want to go through those. Four lies of spiritual growth. Number one, spiritual growth happens automatically. We have this attitude or belief that spiritual growth is something that's just going to happen automatically. Well, the longer I go to church and the longer I say I'm a Christian, the more I'm just going to become a Christian. Even when you say it out loud, doesn't that sound kind of jacked up? 
Is there anything in life that works like that? Anybody ever play a high school sport or even a college sport? High school or college sport? Raise your hand. How many hours did you put in on that sport? Who played a college sport in here? Who played in college? Anything. What did you play in college? Soccer. How many hours your entire life did you put into soccer? More than 10? It was a daily pursuit, wasn't it? How many hours did you play junior high soccer, high school soccer, club soccer, college soccer? You couldn't, you couldn't go and add that up, could you? Who else played a college sport? Played in the soccer. What would you play? Basketball. Stand up. Oh, yeah, I see it. Go ahead and sit down. There you go. Who'd you play for? What college? Nice. You have any clue how much time you spent on the court? Did you just show up for a game, introduce yourself to the coach, and say, hey, I should start? No? Hung out that week in practice, didn't you? Any musicians in here? Who plays an instrument? Plays it? Very back row. What instrument do you play? Guitar. guitar? How, many, how many years have you been playing the guitar? Over three years. Okay, so relatively new at it. How many times a week do you play the guitar? Every day. For how long every day? As long as your parents let you. We get this, don't we? When it comes to sports, when it comes to music, we have any artist in the room besides my wife, any artist? It's a natural gift. You've probably got an artistic bent. Oh, but how much time have you put into getting better? If you've ever been good at anything, you know the time it takes to get into it. It's, it's that win relationship, isn't it? I got on my ring. I got married to my wife August 26, 1995. By the way, for those of you just engaged and you're thinking, what should we do with our rings? I'm going to tell you one thing you will do with your ring. You will engrave the date inside your ring. <laughs> this sucker has saved me 20 years in a row. I always get to the end of August and go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I, oh, I got two days. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> August 26, 1995. On August 26, 1995, I showed up down at Pomona First Baptist with a rented tux with all my idiot friends on their best behavior and a lot of threats. You don't screw this one up. She showed up with all of her friends and the dresses they had to buy. I never understand that. But they came to me and I said, of course I do. They came to her and she said, I do. And my family cheered and her family cried. And on August 26, 1995, I became the perfect husband. On August 26, 1995, I started proving to that woman daily that I have no clue how to be a husband. We're 20 years into this this summer. My bet is if you ask her and say, where's Chris? If you gave him kind of a, a number grade on how he's doing as a husband, she'd probably say I'm around a 75. Which, you go, that's not great. When you start at zero, that's pretty dang good. <laughs> and she's probably thinking, somewhere over the next 20 years, he's going to get really good at this. But there's been so much work. Why? Because it's a relationship. We get that with every aspect in life. Why, when it comes to a relationship with God, how's your Christianity? It's spiritual growth just happens. Why is it that Paul goes, okay, I'm going to tell you, no, I'm going to insist on it. You see the truth underneath, the reality in your note sheet, it is a process that takes time. Growing spiritually, this walk with God, 
Boy, it is a process that takes time. I was talking this morning to Jarrett, who leads worship. Where's Jarrett? Of course, worship guys don't sit in on the message. And so, <laughs> so I was talking to Jarrett. You know, the cool bald-headed guy that plays and makes it all look good. And I'm like, man, how are you guys doing? Young guy in ministry, and he's all doing good, loving the church, loving the good. I said, how are you guys going to do, like, future-wise, financially? I know that's always tough for young guys in ministry. He goes, oh, I got that. I got that handled. I'm like, really? He goes, oh, yeah, we're set for cash. And I'm all, and I hope it's okay to mention this, but I'm like, like for the rest of your life? And he's like, oh, yeah, we're done. We're taken care of. I go, how? You got rich parents? How do you do that? He goes, oh, no, no. I started doing stuff with my money and investments about nine months ago. I go, what in the world are you doing? He goes, every Tuesday afternoon, I get off work a little bit early. I go down to Wells Fargo for an hour and a half from 4 to 5.30. And he goes, I'm hanging out. I'm working there. I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing at Wells Fargo? He goes, well, when you walk in the door to the left, they have this little sitting area, a little coffee machine. You can hang out right there, some couches. And I found that they'll just let you hang out in there. And I'm like, okay. And so you do this every week. He goes, yeah, I go to it every week. And I go, who, who do you talk to? I mean, is there a financial advisor? And he goes, no. He goes, I've walked around. I've gotten to meet some of the staff when they're not busy. Really cool people down there at Wells. He goes, then I come back to the couch and just hang out. And around 5.30, they come around. They say, hey, we're closing down the bank and everything. You know, you're going to have to go. And he's all, I get, got my drink, and I walk out. And I go, Jared, do, do you have money or anything with Wells Fargo? He goes, oh, no, I don't have any money there or anything. I said, dude, so, so tell me, Jared, you go to Wells Fargo every Tuesday for an hour and a half, and you just sit on the couch with a drink in your hand. He's like, yeah. You know, that's where all the investments happen. And I go, and you're going to be set for life. And he's like, Totally. And I go, tell me, in the last nine months, how, how well has that paid off so far? He goes, what do you mean? I go, how's that changed your finances? And he goes, well, it hasn't done anything yet. But these things take time. And I'm like, Jared, I don't, I don't know how to break this to you. You're an amazing worship leader, but as a financial accountant, you suck. <laughs> this is the stupidest plan ever. He goes, no, 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 Chris, it's Wells Fargo. <laughs> Okay, Jared's just walked in the back door and he's like, what are you talking about? Okay, maybe, maybe I just made all that up right now. Maybe we didn't talk about that. I made everything up about, except for him being a great worship pastor, everything else. And you're like, why would you lie to us? Because I needed a really, really dumb illustration. Because I wanted somehow to go, we call that church. I know everyone's like, ha ha. I liked it better when you're making fun of somebody else. We come in and we get our drink. We sit down for an hour and a half. Oh, we've gotten to meet some people, chum it up with some of the staff and all. Cool place. And we walk out until next week. And somehow we think that magically, being in here for an hour, hour and a half is spiritually going to change us. People, that, that's, that's as dumb as Jarrett going to Wells Fargo for an hour and a half a week expecting to get rich. That's as dumb as a guy like me going to L.A. Fitness and hanging out with my smoothie for an hour and a half and going, eh, time to ride home. And my wife's going, Chris, this ain't shaping you at all. And I'm like, it takes time, babe. She's like, have you lifted anything? I'm like, just my smoothie. Anyway, you can go to in and out twice a week. You're not going to become a double-double. You may start to take a shape of a double-double, but 
This idea that I go to church, I'm growing spiritually is laughable, folks. Paul goes, look, this is what I want you to do. No, in fact, I insist on it. And you're like, but Chris, you know, God's one. We come here and God's going God's to change us from the inside out. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Let me give me the lie number two, that God is the one who makes us grow spiritually. Here's the second lie, the fallacy about Christianity. Well, God's the one who makes us grow spiritually. Now hear me before you start writing letters. And if you do, you're Romney Glenn, by the way. God motivates us. God empowers us. God will give us the spirit, the strength, the direction, the conviction. But people, we have to act on it. In fact, underneath it, write down this reality. The reality is the result of our daily decisions. It is not coming to church for an hour and a half a week. It's the result of our daily decisions. Are we acting on what God is telling us? What the word of God is doing in our life? Are we acting on that daily? That's where we know growth starts to happen in our life. Just look at the verbiage on this. Verse 17. So I tell you this. No, I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Non-believers. Whose responsibility does Paul think it is to change the way they live? Ours. He doesn't say, hey, just come to church. God's going to take care of that old life. He goes, no, no, no. It's your responsibility. In fact, I insist that you do this. Look at verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity to the spirit, they have given themselves over to sensuality, to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust or greed for more. Whose desire, whose actions are that? They're taking us away from God, living apart from God. He goes, it's yours. It's yours. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by your own desires. Hear what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, hey, just come to church. God's going to get rid of it. God's going to take away your desires. God's gonna, he goes, no, no, you have to put these things off. You got to pack these things up and you got to ship them off. Look at verse 24. And you need to put on the new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Man, I love the way Philippians, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. If Ephesus is here, if you're looking at it, Ephesus is here, the Mediterranean Sea, the Aegean Sea, just across there, the little town of Philippi. Paul also spent time there with a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple. They planted a church, and now he writes a letter to them. He writes one to the Ephesians and Ephesus. He writes one to Philippi, the Philippians. And in Philippians 2, 13, he goes, Therefore, my dear friends, you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling you call yourself a christian man now i want you to work it out with fear and trembling i want you to hit the court i want you to hit the field i want you to hit the weight room i want you to put some effort and fear and trembling in this and you go oh chris this sounds like it's all our doing it's all works i thought god does it listen to the next verse because it is god who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He goes, it's a both and. On August 26, 1995, if I married that woman and expected her to do all the work in our marriage, we wouldn't have made it 20 years. Oh, Amy does her part. I've got to do my part. That's what makes a marriage. The Bible says God's already done his part. 
God has given you grace. God has given you forgiveness. God will free you from your past. God will give you the conviction. God will give you the strength to change your life. God will give you the availability, the possibility, and the power to change your life. He goes, but you've got to act on it. It is your daily decision to say, God, I'm choosing to act on what you've given me. Now listen, he says, work out your salvation. He didn't say work for your salvation. The moment you became a follower of Christ, you became a child of God. You were saved from your sins. You became a prince or princess in the kingdom of God. You're heir to the throne. Check, check, check. He doesn't say work for those things. He goes, oh, now that you're a Christian, live out everything that's supposed to give you. You're a child of God. Do you walk this earth knowing you hold the hand of the creator of the universe? You're a child of God. Do you walk daily knowing you have his presence, his spirit, his favor in your life? You're a child of God. Do you daily know your value, your purpose, your strength? Because God has given it to you. Paul says it's there You have to work it out. God's done his part. He's gone all in on you. And you go, Chris, I know. I got to get in the Bible. I got to start learning more. I'm glad you brought that up. Here's line number three. I'll grow more when I start learning more. (laughs) I'll grow more when I start learning more. For the sake of time, we're going to start flying here. Because old boy, just start preaching on a Sunday night. I just got time. So here's the reality. It's more about behavior than beliefs. It's more about behavior than beliefs. It's not about you learning more. It's about your behavior. It's about your actions more than your beliefs. The half-brother of Jesus, his name was James. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James 2.19. He does this incredible passage. Well, 2 from 13 to 19. And he goes, so let let me ask you something. You say you have faith in God. But your life doesn't look any different from anybody else in your workplace. Your marriage doesn't look different than any other marriage. Your language, your behaviors, where you go, what you do, your entertainment, doesn't look any different from the world. He goes, let me ask you a question. Do you really think that kind of faith saves you? He goes, let me show you my argument. He goes, I'm going to show you my faith by how I live, (laughs) not by what I believe. And then he goes, here's checkmate. Because even the demons believe in God and they, what? Shudder or tremble. He goes, you think it's about learning more? He goes, I'll tell you who's learned more about God than you, the demons. They've seen God. They've been in the presence of God. They believe in God where they shake, they tremble. He goes, do you you really think that's faith? You think that's salvation? It's not about knowing more. The demons know all there is to know about God. They fail the daily put into practice. And he goes, that's what I'm asking you to do. It's about your behavior more than your beliefs. And let me give you line number four. Line number four says, well, I can do it alone. (laughs) I can do it alone. I can handle this. Well, let me tell you, the Christian life was made to be a team sport, not an individual sport. You see, the reality is dad wants us to grow up in a family. I get so much of this. I'm so glad I can say it as a visiting pastor because it's hard for me to say it at home. Of the people that come up to me and go, hey, Chris, I love God. I just hate organized religion. And I'm all, do you realize it's God is the one who organized that religion? (laughs) So you, you say you like God, you just hate his church. Who do you think you're spending eternity with? 
That's going to be a wake-up call for you. When you die and you show up and God's like, what do you want? You're like, I want in. He's like, I'm sorry. It's all our church people. You hated them in life. I'm not about to let you spend eternity with them. I don't know how you're going to handle that. I don't know how that's going to work. Don't come up and tell me, oh, Chris, man, I love you. Chris, you're my favorite. Chris, man, I just love you. You know what? I hate Amy, though. And the kids, man, I can't stand your kids. By the way, can we have lunch sometime this week? We're not going to have lunch sometime this week. In fact, I'm never going to talk to you again. In fact, I'm probably going to say, you know what? You're a jerk. In fact, I'm probably going to tell you, I don't like you that much right now at all. Don't say you like me and you don't like my bride. Don't say you love me and you don't like my children. Now, listen, I realize some of you have been through some really bad church experiences. Oh, I get that. Church is made up of a bunch of sinners. I mean, just look at them all. You got one leading you. Oh, we're broken people. But people, let me put it this way. I've had some bad pizza in my life. You think I've given up on some pizza? His body's half pizza. You give me a deep dish anything, I'm like, I'm game. I've had some really bad sushi in my life. It has not stopped me from eating some sushi. I realize there may be some bad experiences. But this is something we can't do alone. You say, okay, Chris, I get it. What do you want me to do? I don't want you to do anything. I'm going to tell you what the Bible is asking you to do. Verse 22 simply says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by your own deceitful desires. Three things in closing. Number one, you have to put off. You have to put it off. Man, if you want a message on this, Glenn did one last week about Acts 19. The people in Ephesus knew of God, heard about God. They saw seven brothers, seven sons of Sceva get beat up by a demon-possessed guy running down the street naked and bleeding. That causes a front-page story. And it says the people realize there's power in the name of Jesus. We don't play games with it. They brought all of their scrolls, all of their sorcery, and they burned it. See, they believed in Jesus, but they knew they were just playing games with Jesus. It wasn't until they went home, grabbed all their scrolls, came out, and set them on fire. It wasn't until they put off their old way of doing life that it says, then the name of the Lord started to spread in power. Man, you want God to start working in your life. What do you need to put off? And don't look at me like I'm about to tell you. Every one of you know. Every one of you knows. We can share, what is it, enchiladas tonight? And we'll be sitting at the same table. And you're all, Chris, what do you think I'm supposed to get rid of in my life? And I'm going to look at you and go, shut up. You know. What is it right now that you're playing around with? What is it right now that you know, God doesn't want me to be doing this. Then why is it there? Why is it holding you back from the life you're supposed to be living? That's what you need to put off. I bet every one of us right now could make a list of three things. Don't, because the person sitting next to you may be dealing with gossip. But my bet is, because it's a church, we're full of those. My bet is every one of us knows, yeah, here's a couple things I need to stop doing. Well, don't expect the power of God to be working and filling your life when you're filling it with your old sorcery, when you're filling it with your old way of doing it. Number two, we have to think differently. Verse 23, then you're going to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Can we start acting like Christians and stop waiting to feel like Christians? Can we start doing the things we know God's asking us to do before we start feeling like we should? 
Can we start changing an attitude? It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, because of God's mercy, I challenge you, your spiritual act of worship, give yourself to God. Be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world. Stop living like you used to. Be transformed by changing your thinking. I'm a Christian now. I'm going to start acting like it. I'm going to start doing it. You change your mindset. Then you'll know it says the will of God. The good, pleasing, perfect will of God. You know why we don't have the things of God in our head? Because our head's filled with our old life. He goes, man, you set your mind to you're a new player. This is the team. This is who you're working for now. And then thirdly, put on. Verse 24. And put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If you want your life to end up in a different destination than where it's been ending up, you have to change your direction. Okay, listen. That was so stupid, I think you missed it. It was so simple, it goes right over our head. Just listen. If you want your life, if you want your marriage, if you want your relationships to start ending up in a different destination than where they've been ending up, then you have to change your direction. Because if you're following the same direction and just claiming to be with Jesus, just claiming to be a Christian, I promise you, you're going to end up in the same place you've always been ending up. It goes, you put on the new life. You get off the stuff that you know God wants you to get rid of. You say, God, I'm yours. I'm daily going to wake up and say I'm yours. What does it mean to change my thinking? We live in a day and age where you can podcast, download, radio, Christian thinking, thought 24-7 and get into your minds. I'm going to start thinking on that. I'm going to start moving in that. And God, I'm going to put on the self that you've given me to be. God did not die on the cross to become part of your old life. He wants to get rid of your old life. And he wants you to live out what he's given you. He goes, I want to save that marriage. I want to give you a home you want to run to, not from. And you go, Chris, it hasn't changed because you still got the old way of doing things. He goes, I want you to work out everything God's just given you. It's Christianity 101. It's what Paul wrote to the young couple sitting in the dark, rolling an empty coffee cup on his saucer. He knew he wanted to be a Christian. He didn't quite know what to do with it. And Paul says, here's where he starts. And when I get rid of the old Chris, I make room for a new Christ. And the love of God to start changing me from the inside out. That power of God that I daily start walking in that starts growing stronger and stronger in me. It's called spirit-filled. It's what sets Christianity apart from any other religion, any other belief system in the world. There is not a God that called you to a way of life. It's a God that called you to himself and said, I will do it in you and through you. All you have to do is put off your old way of doing it and start acting on it. It's the dimmer switch principle. And the more we start acting in it, the stronger and stronger that light grows. It's what the couple needed to hear in Ephesus. I hope and pray it's what you needed tonight. Father, thank you for just a few verses and yet so much there about this life you want us to live. God, you don't want us to call ourselves Christians. 
and still get caught up in the old life. He died on the cross to kill that life and give us a new one. And so many of us are still trying to live the old one with a new title. God, tonight when we lay it down, tonight when the things in our life that you are asking us to get rid of, may you give us your power and your strength to kill them off, to put them off, to take on this attitude that we are your son or daughter, a prince or princess in the kingdom of God, in spite of who we are or what we've done or what may have been done to us, that God, you've not just given us grace and mercy and forgiveness, but you've freed us from that, that old things are gone, that we can be a new creation. And that you can do something amazing with plan B after we've really screwed up plan A. I don't get that. I don't deserve that. I will never earn it. So thanks for giving it freely. Let us not just come into the gym or Wells Fargo and think that this worked. May we walk out those doors and may we apply it in obedience in our life. May we walk with you because you are more than willing to walk with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.